0: um, over the summer, but uh, it looks to me like uh, we're going to actually be spending some time in Acts instead. And part of this is when I started to pray about whether or not God would have me step up into this leadership role of pastoring this church, um, one of the things I felt like God said very clearly to me was that what we were to be about was to be about prayer and evangelism. And, that, and by that, I mean welcoming the presence of God and extending that invitation to others into the presence of God. That is really basically all that we're doing. And so if it doesn't fit into one of those two categories, we need to put it off or not do it. Uh, and so I want to talk more about that and uh, and be talking about that consistently over the summer. And the book of Acts really does lend itself more to those things than Romans does. Romans is great. I encourage you to read Romans. It's wonderful, great theology, but it's not full of prayer and reaching out or prayer and preaching uh, as we're talking about today. Um, so I want to start here in Acts chapter 2, starting in verses verse 11, just to kind of give us a little bit of a a running start into Peter's sermon. So remember, last uh, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost. We celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we had this this powerful demonstration of God's power, kind of undoing the curse of Babel, making it possible for people to understand each other, and in particular, making it possible for people to understand the wonders of God and what God was doing, making the message uh, of of God's good work uh, available to all, despite language and cultural barriers, and, so, uh, and also a celebration of those universal, or of, the, of those uh, different cultures. And so uh, Cretans and Arabs, uh, both Jews and con- converts to Ju- Judaism, the people heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues, even though all the people there were Galileans. What amazed, one, what amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So let's just keep it real here, right? Uh, There's always going to be some resistance. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And here we go into the into the sermon that I'm just going to hire Peter as my research assistant for today. was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And here, I think it's just, I just, I have to pause. I wanted to come back to this, but this is the difference between resurrection and being raised, right? Jesus' body did not see decay. Jesus' body is not in the ground being eaten by worms, to be rather graphic, right? Okay? Lazarus, not so. Other people who are raised from the dead, not so. But Jesus, Jesus is unique in that his body did not see decay. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is resurrected and he has ascended into heaven. Let me just continue here with this next verse, God raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. We are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on, on w- uh, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that somehow... By your spirit that these words as the words that peter knew in his heart and had memorized and had had taken to heart as those words of scripture were alive to him lord would these words of scripture be alive to us would they shape us would they form our hearts and would they prepare us for the actions and the plans that you have prepared for us in order to bring in a harvest in order to to preach the gospel with effectiveness and with the love and power of the holy spirit to see lives transformed, renewed, and saved from death. And we just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so I want to play a game just to sort of orient us in what is happening in this kind of massive sermon. uh, Which, you know, okay, I'm like preaching a sermon on a sermon, right? So, but there's some intertextuality at play here, right? Peter spends a lot of time quoting other Uh, other scripture and that scripture is actually most likely those scriptures are songs there are three songs in fact that that he makes reference to there's Joel 2 Joel chapter 2 where he talks about the fire and the blood and all that stuff a lot of that is that uh, that imagery is uh, what you might call apocalyptic language and there's sort of an understanding that in the same way that we say go tell it to the mountains we're not exactly saying like we expect everybody to go and speak to a big rock right there's there's there, there's a phrase there there's a turn of phrase there that's that's that we understand what we mean tell it everywhere right we're saying something poetic that Joel uses poetry and and Peter is quoting that to say hey look this thing that we've been singing about that we've been hoping for that that God said would happen through the prophet Joel it's happening now this is it this is that thing he says this and he does a similar thing with Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 and so The Holy Spirit moves in this powerful way, and Peter explains it. And he explains it in the language of the people that he's speaking to uh, in ways that they can understand it, with references that they understand. He is speaking to, if you will, a primed crowd, a crowd that is ready to receive the gospel, a a crowd that has some understanding of what God is like and the scriptures. And and he does that effectively, uh, and 3,000 people are added to their number that day. Uh, we can credit this largely to the work of the Holy Spirit and His demonstration of power, but Peter is like part of this, and so are the other disciples and people who are gathered. And so, but to understand kind of how this is working and why Peter is able to make this appeal that seems to connect and click with people, I think we have to wrap our minds around the way he is quoting three very well-known songs in this passage of Scripture. And so, uh, I want to play a little game. If you know how to f- complete the phrase, say it out loud, or sing it along, or sing along, okay? So if you like it, then you better put a ring on, a ring on it, right? Okay, yeah, we all know that. Thank you, Beyonce, prophet of our age. Uh, what, what, let me, let's me. let go a little bit back. Let me go a little bit back. One of my favorite theme songs from television uh, is the theme song to Growing Pains, and it starts out. Show me that smile again. There it is. There it is. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's like it's like that is in there, man. I haven't sung that or seen that show in probably 20 years, but there's something about the way that music gets into your soul and gets into your brain and the way our brains are wired that it just it's like part of you, all right? Let me do a little bit. Let me do one that's a bit more recent. When you're out on the road feeling lonely and no my wife isn't here so, so you you okay so you know the gilmore girls theme song but but it, you might not know the the lyrics if my wife was here she would have she would have sang along i feel like that one was a bit of a dud that didn't that didn't make that didn't make the point i was hoping to okay well hey look we're feeling patriotic here all right 4th of july here in a couple of days oh say can you see yeah, let's yeah, there we go. That's 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 enough of that. Okay, but but that's in there, right? And you know all these words and you use all these archaic, weird words that you might not even normally use in that song particularly, right? The the poetic language is just it's it's ingrained because of the music. If I say amazing grace, how sweet that saved a wretch like me. I started way too low. But that that song is in there, right? Okay, so when Peter is saying these things from Joel two and Psalm sixteen and Psalm one ten, he's making a reference that people get. They know what he's saying. They know what he's making reference to. They understand. They know those lyrics. They know that song. It isn't unfamiliar to them. In a time without radio, church was entertainment. That, I mean, that was, that was your culture. Those were the songs you knew. The songs you knew were the songs in church, all right, or synagogue, as the more accurate uh, term may be. So one of the psalms that comes up over and over again is Psalm 110, and, and he makes a, a, a clear reference to it. Psalm 110 pops up over and over and over again, and the New Testament. And it's that verse that he says where, you know, where it's, it's actually a verse that that uh, that um, Jesus himself quoted in Matthew twenty two forty four and all the synoptic gospels. Peter makes reference to it in the passage that we just read, and there's also a direct quote of it uh, from the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 1, 13, all referring to uh, the statement, The Lord said to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. And this is, the mes- this is sort of the, the theme song of the messianic hope, all right? This is the theme song of God is going to bring a, a warrior king who will come back and who will conquer our enemies and bring us freedom from the oppression that we are experiencing, from the oppression that is still continuing from the time of captivity in Assyria and Babylonia and continues with the, Greco, with the Greco and Roman governments who have conquered Israel, God will bring a warrior king who will, who will restore us, who will bring us back to prominence and give us dominion over our land. And, and there are so many quotes to this psalm and that idea throughout the New Testament. There are indirect quotes in all these verses, and then we see very similar language in the ways that that, that song has reverberated and, and informed the thinking uh, in, in all these other verses that you see on the slide. Doing a little study on Psalm 110 in the New Testament might be a fun thing. And so my point here is this. My point is that the songs that we make, the songs that we sing, and the songs that we listen to and, and, and that, that get into our hearts, they form us and shape us and, and are, are in our experience of life in profound ways. And they're important. And so, what is happening here is that Psalm 110, that idea that that there would be a king who would come and conquer all his enemies, when Peter says that Jesus Christ has been made both Lord and Messiah, and you put him to death, he's making, and (laughs) he's saying, the person who's going to make his enemies a footstool under their feet, who's going to stand on the throats of his enemies, that's Jesus. And you guys killed him. <laughs> it's intense, right? It's intense. And, but, the, but the gospel, the good news is, of course, that Jesus, through his resurrection, has proven that he can overcome that sin, that he can overcome that wickedness, that he has overcome the world and the way of the world, and the twisted uh, state of things. The people who should be able to recognize God when he comes don't and put him to death, but God has overcome that. And people are convicted. They understand what has happened because they're seeing it take place. They, They know that the resurrection has been claimed, and they see these people speaking in languages that they didn't otherwise know, and they see the demonstration of the Spirit's power. They see the kingdom of God coming, in power. And it isn't a kingdom that comes in violence. It is a kingdom that comes in peace. It is a kingdom that comes in understanding and healing and love. And people are reconciled to God and one another when that kingdom comes. Okay? So, our first little question to consider, what is a song that is deeply meaningful to you and why? All right? And I would encourage you if 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 a worship song is deeply meaningful to you, talk about that song. Or maybe if, you, if there's a psalm, um, you know, maybe Psalm 23, like, is really your jam, and you have that memorized, and you know that, and that has been a source of comfort for you, talk about that. Or um, if there's another psalm or, or a passage of scripture that, that y- you know, or just really any song, right? I, one song that's really meaningful to me, and I'll, I'll just kind of share this with everybody, is uh, Roxanne by The Police. Roxanne, you don't have to put on that red light. Whenever I hear that song, I, I just feel like God is, I feel like that's Jesus singing to me. I don't know if that's, that, that, maybe that's weird, and I'm Roxanne. Like, uh, that's not, now we've got all kinds of like gender identity things going on. But that, that's, I know that's a little weird, but like that's, that's really what I think of when I think of that song. Whenever it comes on the radio, I feel like God speaks to me through that. I feel like I have a little bit of a biblical basis in the prophet. Hosea, if you've actually read what happens in that book, but uh, so there's a song that's meaningful to me. Find three, find a group of three people or less, and talk about a song that's deeply meaningful to you, and why. All right, All right. so I'm going to kind of call us back to attention here. So, I just I wonder, would anybody like to like to share? Uh, something like one or two minutes, just kind of tell us about a song that's deeply meaningful to you that you want to tell everybody? Anybody want to anybody go there? Margie, you want to talk? Come on up. Here, I may, I'll just hand this to you. Hopefully we don't have a mic malfunction. Well, as Becky and I were talking, you know, we were saying there's different times in our life when a song gets us where we are so it's not always the same song but when i moved to eminence and uh, lived with my sister the mercy me even if i kept hearing it and his story of how he was getting ready to go on stage and tell the broken it'd be all right but his child was suffering from this diabetes And he wrote this beautiful song about, I know you're able, you're able to take care of this, but even if you don't, my hope's in you That's such a good example, and I'm really glad you shared that, because I do think, like, that's one thing we see in the Psalms over and over again, right? Is that that there's this sort of honest lament about the real situation, and like, God, give me justice, break the teeth of my enemies, you know, like, like, or, you know, I'm a worm, I'm nothing, I'm worthless, you know, like, you see that stuff in the, in the Psalms, and you're like, am I, am I, am I reading the right book? Is this, is this really what, but, but what it's about is just getting real before the Lord and really inviting God into what our actual situation is, what our actual life is like, and talking to God honestly. And that's the pattern that we see and that we're invited into. And so I, I encourage us, you know, read, read the psalms. I, you know, if you, if you do like five psalms a day, something's going to connect with where you're at, you know. Uh, if you can find a reading plan. Like I use the Book of Common Prayer reading plan. And uh, there's usually at least three or four psalms in there. And there's, you know, they don't always match up where I'm at. But so, something in there will grab me and I'll say, yeah, that's really where I am today. That's really, that's really it and I need God to come through in this way. Um, And yet, at the same time, kind of reaffirming our devotion to God even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of struggle, right? There's so many psalms that do that, so many songs that we sing that reaffirm our commitment even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of lament. And those songs continue to create a culture and to create uh, a story that we can connect with and connect to. And so I, I just think it's important I feel like God just wants to affirm us in our in our desire to to create ways for people to connect with Jesus. And particularly in the songwriting thing. I'm just so excited about that. I think it's really wonderful and I'm just uh you know, I'm just so so blessed by what God is doing in our community that way. I think that it will and, you know, it has actually, you know, been the case that as the Vineyard Movement has has produced a lot of worship music that is sung in many churches throughout the world, we have changed church culture, at least in the English-speaking world. That the Vineyard Movement has had a profound impact despite our small number of churches. I mean, like, we're less than 600 churches right now, the Vineyard Movement, in America. It's like less than 600 churches. You know, it kind of goes up and down. But even with that small number of of churches having a profound impact on the culture of church in America. I think and hope rather positively. And so I think just as we continue to look to the prayers that other people have written and, and find, find community with the saints who have come before us to pray the prayers that Jesus prayed. You know, When we, when we go to the Psalms to engage in worship we're, and when we go to the prophets, we're, we're looking at Jesus' prayer book. These are the prayers that he would have prayed. These are the things that he would have looked to in his devotional life with God. And those are good and can have a profound impact on shaping our souls. Um, and so that's prayer, right? You know, when we're singing those songs of worship, when we're when we're engaging with God that way, we're doing it in a musical way that's hopefully a little more fun, right? Um, but But can also engage our emotions and, like, really be a place where we connect with God in a deep kind of prayer that's formative. But then there's the invitation, right? And that's the part that, that I think we'll talk about more in, in in our little business meeting or whatever here in a few minutes, but that we we need to uh, keep in mind the invitation that we offer to others and, and the call to proclaim the good news that we've received and to be a witness about what we've seen and heard, both in this church and way, other ways God is at work, and... Uh, to our friends, our family, our neighbors, um, as though it really matters, as though it saves a life for people to know God and to be connected to him, to be rooted and established in his love. Peter says, sums it up nicely here, I think. He says, what's the response? What's our response to these things that God has done? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And I don't want us to get too hung up on the numbers (laughs) <laughs> but uh, three things I want to just notice about Peter in this passage. Peter is ready to go, right? There's, there's sort of a moment happening, and Peter seizes it, right? There's, there's been formation in his character that has happened over a long time. He has been formed by being with Jesus and being in a community of people that worship and pray and waiting on the Lord and being instructed by the Lord. His mind is ready, uh, and, and his soul is ready, for the opportunity and he seizes it and he's eager he is eager for people and pleads from the heart not from a place of like oh i have to do this because i don't know church said i had to or whatever but no like it is it is from his being right it is from the person that he is on the inside that he pleads and warns with pe- warns people and says don't go that way come to jesus don't miss this opportunity. This is your chance. This is your chance to come to life. And with a sense of urgency and eagerness, he pleads with people to come and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And what I believe is true is that until we have that being or orientation, until we have that experience of I have seen God and God is part of my story, and I know what's true, and I want to share that with people, then we won't be effective, we won't have the character or the, or, or the mentality to see, those, to see those opportunities and to seize them. We won't be eager if it's not on the inside. And so for our kind of last question before we go into prayer, and I think that this might prompt some things to pray about, uh, the question is this. I want us to to consider this statement. Consider it about ourselves as individuals. I know what the gospel is, all right, and I'm eager to share it. So maybe the question is, do I know what the gospel is and am I eager to share it? Is that true? Is it true that I know what the gospel is and that I'm eager to share it? Is it untrue? Is it true sometimes? Am I kind of like I've got my moods, and I've got my good moods and my bad moods. So that's the discussion question. Respond to that statement, talk about it for a few minutes, and then we'll pray for each other, okay? All right. I hope, did everybody get the chance to talk? I hope I'm not interrupting anybody. So I think we probably are scratching the surface here, and that there are, probably some things to talk about if we feel comfortable being honest about where we're at. Can I, I wonder, just by a show of hands, who, who experiences some sense of ambiguity about what the gospel is or how to sum it up? Maybe, maybe you'd say, I know what it is, but I don't know, really know how to, how to sum it up completely. And, and it's okay if, you, if you'd be comfortable. I, I feel that way sometimes. I'm a freaking pastor, right? So, I mean, come on. Like, it, it's, it's difficult to sum this thing up right how do we take this story that spans thousands of years generations whole lives and deaths and, and different people living and dying at different times in history and sum it up into how how do we how do we say what this is succinctly that's a that's a challenge right um and then who you know, maybe that ambiguity causes some confusion in, in our eagerness to share. Um, but maybe also, we. I wonder, does anybody kind of, maybe did, did a few of us kind of struggle with wondering, is this really good news? Is this really, you know, like great? I don't know. Did anybody go there? I I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's in somebody's heart. I don't, I don't mean to put anybody on the spot. I'll let you pray about that privately if, if that did come up. But here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think part of our problem, and I do think it's a problem, uh, is that we feel the pressure to make the sale. Right? Part of it is that we have re- we have seen models in which the the gospel story, which is this huge thing that's all encompassing, it's all of our lives, has been reduced so much in order to make it, uh, in, in order to make it just about this one decision. You know, accept this free gift, and then that's that's what it's all about. Without taking into account, like, by the way, when you accept this gift, you accept a a, a course of life that leads you to the cross on earth, and and is a, is a lifelong process of discipleship, and and like you you come to follow you follow Jesus with your whole life. It's not just you know, pray a prayer and get out of hell free, right? Uh, that that we because we've seen the gospel reduced so much, and, and, and because it's so out of sync with the world, and it's out of sync with the world at every time in history, that it's difficult to sum up what it means without experiencing it somehow ourselves. And here's what I think, here's what I, and this is just me, I'm not, I'm going to step aside from the pulpit while I say this. I think it's a lot easier to catch what the gospel is and what it means and all that it means in a community of people who are walking that out. I actually think it's God's design that it happens in community. I think it's very odd and strange and rare for a person to, to and, and just rare in my experience, for a person to suddenly go from I don't even know who God is or what's going on to I'm ready to commit my whole life to this without some kind of an ongoing relationship, without some, some kind of a, a slow burn, without some kind of a, a, a yeast working through the dough, without a, a process of people really coming to, to ask questions and be in dialogue with believers and understand what it really means to experience the love of God and to follow Jesus with our whole lives. That, and we, I think we see that in this passage, that God had been preparing the people of Israel, the gathered people, for this moment when the Holy Spirit would come and when Peter would be able to explain it to everybody and it would click. There was so much work that went into that, right? There was so much time and process and energy that went into that moment. And so I think if we are judging ourselves with a standard that says, I should just be able to walk around and lead five people to Jesus every day, which I think that sometimes when I preach or when other people have preached to us about what evangelism is, if it's just getting people to cross that line, then, then we then we can beat ourselves up and say, "Oh, well, I've only you know helped like one or two people in my life cross that line. I must be a bad Christian and horrible at things." And and but really, what it what it more likely is and more likely was for us when we were coming to Jesus was a slow process that happened in community with other people, and 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 happens many times imperceptibly or or slowly over time. And so I just want us to, to kind of take some time to pray. Pray with the people that you were talking to. Pray with, um, you know, with somebody, if you, if, if you can grab a partner. Um, and pray about becoming the kind of person who can say yes to that statement emphatically. That I know what the gospel is, and I'm eager to share it. We want to be those kinds of people. That's the kind of witness we want to be. Okay. Let's get to, let me share these other words that happened uh, as we were listening to the Holy Spirit before the service, and then that will inform our prayer time. So, um, one, there's a need for an increase in trusting God. Um, so that, you know, God is saying that there's, there's a need for us to increase in our, in our faith, in our trust of God. Um, second, um, the word is that gratitude makes room for the Lord to do bigger things. And again, there's some, there's some kind of references to David and the Psalms. That he cried out to God and in desperation for help, and then God would meet him in that desperation. Uh, and then third, uh, this is kind of a, a, a vision. Uh, somebody saw a trim, well-groomed young lady, uh, like a pretty girl, um, and then she powered up into mom mode with a triumphal shout. Okay, so instead of greater beauty, her hair turned frazzled with gray streaks, uh, her belly got pudgy, and her, cro- and her clothes were kind of a little more worn out, uh, yet this was her more powerful mode, because her strength was in her inner beauty, and her care for her family. So, sort of a vision of a woman transforming, and but transforming into power, but not, um, not in a worldly sort of a view of power. So... Um, If one of those things speaks to you, would you share that with the people that you've been talking to and pray? Uh, We want to take at least a few minutes to pray. Would you try to pray for somebody or get prayer yourself um, before we get our kids and start lunch? Uh, Let me just pray for us as we transition into that. So Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for what you're teaching us about being witnesses. And experiencing you deeply as we cry out to you in songs and in honest laments and in prayers that are full of gratitude. God, just ask that you would continue to be at work in our hearts, shape us and mold us now, and teach us who you want us to be.